Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Mysteries podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and normally my dear friend, Melissa, but this week we actually have a stand-in special guest, and um, I am going to elaborate a little bit on um, the reason why and what's going on. Melissa and I have been, both of our families have been battling some sicknesses this past month. It's been just a very, it's been a very strange month of May. Um, There's been a lot early summer colds. It's not even quite summer yet, but it's a little late still for flu season. So I'm not really sure what's going around. A lot of things apparently. So we've kind of been dealing with that. Our sweet Melissa has taken the brunt of it and is unfortunately in the hospital trying to get better at the moment. She did say that I could share that with you all. She said to leave all the details and fun stuff for her to tell to you later. So um, I will do that. We definitely are wishing Melissa well, and we miss her very much. Um, I did talk to her just about an hour ago. So um, I know that she's hanging in there and is doing everything she can to get better and is looking forward to getting back to the podcast and recording. But without further ado, this week, 
I do have a special co-host um, that is going to stand in for Melissa that I'm really excited about. And it's somebody that you guys might actually be familiar with, especially if you listen to Melissa's other podcast, Criminality, um, then you probably know exactly who um, Rebecca Sebastian is. So Rebecca, hello, and welcome to Moms and Mysteries. Hi, Mandy. It is really fun to see you. It's been a long time. It has. Um, I, I kind of hate the reason that it's happening. But honored to be invited on and to share the mic with you tonight. And it's really good to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you too. I know. I think it's been, I don't even know how long it's been. Melissa and I came on um, an episode of your Mm -hmm. old podcast, right? Yeah, Dialogue. Dialogue. It was like probably three, four years ago, maybe. Yeah. And it was about the, there was chicken, brown family chicken murders. I can't even remember now. Is that what it was? Well, that's not ringing a bell. So I either blacked <laughs> out, have PTSD, or, or I'm totally wrong. Just <laughs> completely forgot. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to fact check us on that. That's possible. It's possible. <laughs> yeah. So I don't ever really get to talk to you, Rebecca. So this is definitely interesting. Um, or it's just an interesting turn of events. But like you said, it's very unfortunate that we are doing it this way uh, because yeah. of the circumstances. But it was actually Melissa's brilliant idea. She. It doesn't matter if she's well, sick. She's always full of great ideas. <laughs> Seriously. She's like generating ideas and running stuff from the hospital bed, which is surprising to no one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not a surprise to any of us here. So yeah, so uh, so we do have a very, very interesting and very exciting story to get into this week. And I did release a little quick memo to the listeners, just letting you guys know that this was going to be a couple of days late. I actually think we're going to get it out not too, too late. Thanks to, once again, Melissa, who has been coordinating (laughs) things from her hospital bed. But um, thank you guys so much for your patience. And we do apologize for just, I don't even know what. I don't even know what we're apologizing for. No, we're not apologizing (laughs) for being sick and for life happening. We thank you in advance for your patience and understanding. How about that? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. All right. So we'll get into the story for this week. Finding out that your spouse is having an affair can be a pretty traumatic experience. And one way that can make it even worse is to learn that the other person is someone you know and thought that you could also trust. It's bad enough as it is, but the double whammy of being betrayed by two people that you care deeply about is something that must be absolutely gut-wrenching to go through. There are people in our lives that we allow more access to us than others, and we offer them a higher level of trust. These are family members, close friends, romantic partners, business partners, and those are just some of the people that we're in constant connection with in our daily lives. And the machine really only works if every wheel is turning in unison. So the actions of one person can send the lives of many who know them into a total upheaval. In the very early morning hours of November 29th, 2011, Dr. Thomas Coleman packed his lunch and got ready for a typical day as a physical therapist, which started with taking care of his fitness routine. On most mornings of the week, Tom would make his first stop of the day at the local Planet Fitness, and then he would head to his office ready to treat patients. But on this day, Tom never showed up for work, leading his coworkers to contact his wife, Linda, who then made several attempts to reach him by phone before going out to look for him herself. Linda did find Tom, but tragically, he was unconscious and unresponsive. Tom would soon be pronounced dead, and the story that unfolded is a wild ride. Dr. Thomas Coleman was a New York City native, born in Queens in 1967. According to his mom, Tom always had a kindness about him, and he was known for just being there for everyone. He earned an undergraduate degree and later a doctorate in physical therapy from Damon College in Amherst, New York, 
which was an achievement that made his parents extremely proud. Tom was married to his first wife, Michelle, in the 90s, and they had two children together. They had a son in or around 1994 and a daughter in or around 96. The couple divorced in 1999, but they remained amicable. Tom married again in 2001, this time to Linda, who was a fellow divorcee. Linda had a daughter from her previous marriage, and she and Tom went on to have a son of their own together. They lived in Saugerties, New York, where Linda worked as a hospital administrator, and Tom worked as a physical therapist, as well as a volunteer coach for the local Little League team. Although Tom was a family man focused more on Linda and the kids than anyone else, he did have one very close friend named Gil Nunez. Gil was someone that he and Linda had met because their children attended the same school as the Nunez children, and these two families became friends in 2010. Gil had come to the U.S. from the Dominican Republic and had been married twice but was going through a separation when he met the Colemans. He had five sons. Gil became a licensed dentist in multiple states, including New York and Arizona, after obtaining a doctorate in dental surgery from the New York University College of Dentistry. Gil went on to start his own self-named practice called Gilberto Nunez DDS in Kingston, New York. Gil also served as a volunteer firefighter in Kingston. Gil's dental practice was a huge success and the business was thriving. He was known to be a nice guy and even his employees would say the nicest things about working for him. After Gil met Dr. Coleman and Linda, they started to become close friends. In fact, Gil and Tom could be considered best friends. Tom and Linda's kids took karate lessons with Gil's kids, and since Linda took the kids to karate, it was she who spent that time chatting with Gil and using each other as a sounding board for their problems. Not only was Gil going through a separation from his wife, but Linda and Tom were also struggling in their marriage at this time. Tom was paying a lot of money to his first wife in divorce payments, plus Linda's daughter suffered from health problems and their son was having problems in school. All of this weighed on the Coleman marriage and stress was at an all-time high. By December 2010, less than a year after meeting each other, Gil and Linda started having an affair. They texted constantly when they weren't together and even sent each other cards to celebrate monthly anniversaries. As the affair grew more intense, Gil started feeling guilty and wanted to come clean to Tom about it, but Linda was scared that Tom would want to get divorced if he found out. Gil later said he never wanted Linda to tell Tom. He just wanted to come clean about the affair. Tom was his best friend, after all. Linda was still hesitant and refused to break the news to Tom, so eventually Gil took matters into his own hands. In July of 2011, about seven or eight months after the affair started, Gil bought a burner phone and used it to send text messages to Tom while pretending to be a woman named Samantha. Gil sent Tom over a thousand text messages over the course of two days in an effort to steer him towards figuring out that Linda was having an affair with, quote, the dentist. That really seems like so much work to go through to break the news that your wife is having an affair to then to, you know, to create this whole other persona. A thousand messages, Mandy. <laughs> I know you text a lot. I know I do too. That is borderline. <laughs> it's not okay. <laughs> so Gil also sends these texts to Linda while posing as Samantha. In these text messages, it was insinuated that Tom was cheating on Linda, which she believed. She actually told Gil about it and he offered to look into it for her. He's making himself very useful here. Right. <laughs> Creating the problem and being the solution. Exactly. Right? <laughs> One day outside of a hotel, he gave her a letter he said was from a CIA agent. The letter read in part, 
Sometimes we as human beings believe that we know a person's character and behavior very well just because we have cohabitated with that person for many years, but we all can make mistakes in life. And as research has proven, people fall out of love all the time and they stay in a relationship for numerous reasons except for love. Sincerely, Agent 753-246-910213. Like you, Mandy, Linda thought this letter was completely ridiculous. (laughs) I think maybe he would have gotten away with it if he made his agent number a little shorter. (laughs) I mean, he let a a child in elementary school pick the number. (laughs) (laughs) So after these texts from Samantha made it to Tom's inbox, and he had the chance to look over all 1,000 of these messages, he went to Linda and told her that he knew exactly what was going on. Surprisingly, Linda admitted to everything right away. Tom was very upset about it, and he refused to even talk to Gil for about three or four days, which Gil said made him just feel horrible because Tom is one of his only friends, and now he won't speak to him, which might have been something to consider. Yeah, I wonder why he doesn't have more friends. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So at this point, Tom still didn't know exactly who sent these texts from Samantha, but he must have caught on that it wasn't a person named Samantha. And he started to wonder who truly was responsible for setting all this in motion. And one day he's talking to his friend Gil and says, you know, I'm ready to get to the bottom of this. I'm considering hiring a PI to look into it. Gil told Tom that he actually knew what he called a CIA computer expert who could trace the origin of these text messages, which, of course, is a bold-faced lie. He doesn't have any connections with the CIA. Also, I don't think the title would be a computer expert. (laughs) Yeah, there's just so much that just would not happen. You wouldn't tell someone that you have all these CIA connections if you actually had CIA connections. you shouldn't. Yeah, (laughs) you might, but you shouldn't. Right. So, but his real plan was he was going to try and pay the IT guy that worked for his dental office a pretty penny of $500 to simply pose as a CIA expert and meet with Tom. (laughs) But thankfully, he did not do that. He didn't go through with it. He did not meet up with Tom and pretend to be a CIA agent. So Gil ended up going to Tom's office and basically said, I did it. I sent these texts. I'm so, so sorry. He literally got on his knees and begged Tom for his forgiveness. So Tom, as we said before, his mom said he was always a very kind and loving guy. You know, he told Gil to get up off the floor and he gave him a hug. They're friends. He said, you know what? I appreciate you coming and telling me this, but please get off your knees and stand up. So after Tom was aware of the affair, Linda tried to break things off with Gil, but his reaction ended up causing a little bit of a panic. He left a tearful message on Tom's voicemail where he was professing his love, not just for Linda, but also for Tom, saying, you know, he just loved both of them so much. But in the same message, he was making some really concerning statements that made Tom worry that Gil might be contemplating suicide. Tom called the police and had emergency services go check up on Gil. And Gil said that he just had a moment of weakness, but he was fine now. After this incident, Tom and Gil continued to be friends, and Gil and Linda continued having their affair. Only now, Tom seemed to be okay with it. According to Gil, once everything was out on the table about the affair, his relationship with both Tom and his relationship with Linda got stronger. He claimed that he and Tom would joke and talk about the affair, and Tom would even ask him things like, did you see Linda today? And Gil would answer him truthfully, which... 
this sounds like something that, that like Gil would make up in his fantasy land or, you know, that something like this does not sound real. Yeah, this is like a codependent affair. It's kind of like it's very unusual. Yeah, I mean, and there's definitely relationship styles, I feel like, where maybe that's a thing. But this sounds like very, like, not exactly that. It doesn't sound no. like this was planned to be that this way whatsoever. Yeah, nobody signed up for that. This wasn't like an agreement or an arrangement. This just happened. And Tom just seems, I don't know. Let's, I don't know. Yeah. We'll find He's out. kind of going along to get along <laughs> yeah. for now. Yeah. So, yeah. So it kind of seems a little strange, but text messages between Gil and Tom actually do seem to corroborate the idea that Tom was generally accepting of the affair. So after the affair was made known, Tom and Gil still called each other bro and said love you to each other. In one text, Tom referred to Linda as Gil's girlfriend. He actually said, quote, your girlfriend is baking. And Gil replied, great. I love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> what a silly response. The yeah. only right answer to that is what? What is she baking? And right. which one of us is for? Okay. <laughs> And there was other evidence to suggest that Tom was okay with the affair, too. Tom, Linda, and Gil would all go out together, often, but sometimes Tom would watch the kids so Gil and Linda could go out alone, like having a date night. It's so weird. And he's the babysitter. It's weird. <laughs> Gil allegedly also set Tom up on a few dates of his own. According to multiple people, Gil lavished Linda with gifts like clothing and jewelry, and he also paid her credit card bills. Actually, this is making more sense. Right. <laughs> Tom's like, this is great. Gil right. also gave Tom money for his divorce payments to his first wife. This arrangement continued well into the fall of 2011. In November, for Linda's 11-month anniversary card to Gil, she wrote in part, I love you and will always love you. And I had no idea 11 months ago that my life was about to change in the way it has. But look at us today. So much love and passion and compassion for each other. On November 12th, Linda, Tom, and their kids went to Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut to spend the weekend away as a family. Linda continued her constant contact with Gil through texting during the trip. Later in the month, when Thanksgiving rolled around, Gil celebrated with the Coleman family and he and Tom talked business together. A few days later, Linda, Tom, and Gil took all their kids to Olive Garden together. You know, when you're there, you're family, by the way. So <laughs> that seemed like a good move. It's a perfect choice. <laughs> On November 28th, Gil and Linda had dinner alone together, but they returned to their respective homes at an early hour. That same night, Tom and Gil exchanged texts while watching the Giants game on TV from their own respective homes. Linda and Gil texted that night as well. We tracking? Because the next day, November 29th, everything changed. Tom left home at about 4.30 that morning and headed straight to Planet Fitness for his morning workout before going into work. However, Tom never showed up to work, which was completely out of character. So his coworkers alerted Linda. Linda attempted to call Tom many times, but never got a hold of him. She left several voicemails in which she can be heard growing more and more frantic because Tom is not returning these calls. So Linda knew that her husband's typical routine was to go to the gym first thing in the morning. So that's the first place that she went out to look for him. It was shortly before noon when Linda arrived and found Tom's car in the Planet Fitness parking lot. His car was strangely parked super far away from the building, which is rather unusual for somebody who's working out at 4.30 a.m. They're arriving when the parking lot is basically empty, so why wouldn't they park closer to the front? Linda looked inside the car and saw Tom. He was reclined back, almost completely flat in the driver's seat, and he looked like he was asleep. 
Linda opened the door and tried to wake him up, only to realize that something actually was terribly wrong. She shook him, slapped him, screamed, and even tried to open his eyes, but he wouldn't wake up. Linda was very distraught when she called 911. She was screaming and crying a lot into the phone, and many of her words were inaudible. She was found leaning into the car over Tom's body when emergency personnel arrived, and she was visibly upset and had to be removed from the area so that they could get to Tom. It was noticed that Tom's belt and pants were undone, and his zipper was partially down. His shirt was also undone at the neck. There were no obvious signs of trauma or injury, and therefore no reason to think that he had been attacked. While Linda was still at the scene, Gil called. A first responder actually answered that phone call and spoke to Gil. Gil said that Tom's coworker had called him saying that Tom hadn't shown up for work and the first responder then told Gil, you know, where they were at, but didn't give any information about Tom's condition. Gil headed to the Planet Fitness to see what was going on. When he arrived, he ran towards Tom's car shouting, what happened? That's my best friend. Gil was told that there was nothing they could do to save him and Tom was unfortunately dead. Gil dropped to his knees at that moment, but then he got up and started acting in a way that everyone else around thought was very bizarre. One of the paramedics said that Gil was physically distraught and couldn't stop himself from jumping up and down as if he were on a pogo stick. This paramedic said that this was highly unusual, and in 28 years, they had never seen anything like that before. I know, like, we sometimes talk on the show a lot, Melissa and I do, about, like, people have different reactions to like horrific news, you know, or their immediate reaction to a shocking bit of information can sometimes be like really unusual to anyone looking on. But this definitely seems a little bit beyond. Yeah. Like a stress response that doesn't look appropriate sort of, this would definitely qualify. It's one I've never heard of. It's so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually, Gil did calm down, and he did go over to try and console Linda. Since Tom did die under strange circumstances, he was very young, he was healthy, and he died alone in his car, the police opened a case and began investigating the cause of Tom's passing. His body was sent for an autopsy, and the results were a little bit confusing. There were no signs of trauma to Tom's body, but he did have an enlarged heart and liver. It was noted that Tom's medical history showed that he had a history of high blood pressure as well as sleep apnea. Based on these findings, the pathologist was unable to conclude how Tom died. So they sent samples off for toxicology testing, which we will get into in just a little bit. Even though it seemed like there were no signs of foul play, investigators still wanted to act as though Dr. Coleman's death was a possible homicide. So they went down their typical checklist of gathering forensic evidence. The only DNA found in Tom's car belonged to Tom, Linda, and their son, but nothing from an unidentified or other person. Nothing was really out of the ordinary about the car at all. Tom's lunch and cell phone were both found inside. Detectives then started looking for surveillance footage from nearby the gym and found that a motion-activated camera at Cole's, which is right next door to the Planet Fitness, captured a vehicle pulling into the gym's parking lot. Unfortunately, like so many times... (laughs) This footage is so blurry, you really can't tell much, but they were able to see that this vehicle's fog lights were misaligned and one light was pointing down on the ground more than the other. 
15 minutes later, Tom's car pulled in right next to the unidentifiable vehicle and the vehicles remained parked side by side for the next 28 minutes. That's weird. Now, because this footage is so blurry and poor quality, it's impossible to tell whether or not any car doors were opening or closing or if anyone got in or out of the cars. After 28 minutes, the unidentifiable car pulled away and the investigators were able to see that it was a pale or light-colored SUV of some kind. Tom's car never left the parking spot. It does shock me all the time how crappy surveillance videos are still. And this didn't happen that long ago. This is in 2011. I'm like, thinking back to even like what cell phone cameras were like in 2011 is better than what surveillance footage we get even today. I mean, you don't see very crisp and clear surveillance footage. And I guess I just don't understand why. If we can put better camera into like a crappy little cell phone, like it's it blows my mind that we don't have better surveillance cameras. Well, isn't there a meme about like the great crystal clear photos from space we get when they go up there and like the right. rover <laughs> and like we can't get 20 feet in a like well-lit parking lot with right. security cameras? It feels like something we really need to look into and, and upgrade ASAP. Definitely. And especially in a case like this where you're like, what good is your security cameras if investigators can't deduce anything about what's being seen on it? Like you may as well not even have it. And so that part is really frustrating when it's like they've got a camera pointing towards this parking lot, but the quality is so crappy that it might as well not even be there. If you can't see a license plate number, but you only know it's a pale or light colored SUV, best of luck. To yeah. you, investigator. You know, it's it's useless. So, yeah. So thankfully, though, in this case, it wasn't totally useless. Um, and after reviewing this footage, investigators recalled that Gil Nunez actually showed up to the scene driving a white SUV, a Nissan Pathfinder. So at this point, they had already heard rumors that Gil and Linda were romantically involved. I don't know if we're still calling it an affair since Tom was aware of it. <laughs> but the fact that Gil drove a car that looked similar to the one seen on this blurry footage was, at the very least, interesting. They started looking for more surveillance footage from businesses on the route from Gil's apartment to the Planet Fitness, which is a route that partially follows the commercial strip of Albany Avenue. Beginning at 4.35 a.m., a white Nissan Pathfinder could be seen driving in the direction of Planet Fitness, passing a series of businesses along the way. The video clearly showed that the Pathfinder had its fog lights on. And what was even more interesting is that the lights had the same distinct pattern where one was pointed down more than the other. Since the video from Coles was so blurry, they couldn't actually verify with 100% certainty that the SUV that pulled into the gym was the same white Pathfinder from the other videos. However, they did have something almost as good. A minute and a half after the unidentifiable SUV left the gym parking lot, the same white Pathfinder from before was captured back on Albany Avenue. So it did seem highly likely that it was the same vehicle in all the footage. And we have so much more to get into after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Do you ever stop and think, why on earth do we need those monstrous plastic jugs for our laundry detergent? Well, to add insult to injury, a whopping 91% of those clunky, cumbersome jugs end up in landfills and oceans. And as much as I'd like to just ditch the laundry, I have two boys, which means that's not even kind of an option. But not to worry, I know just the answer, thanks to EarthBreeze. With EarthBreeze, you can say farewell to the backbreaking, planet-harming jugs and say hello to a greener, breezier laundry experience. 
EarthBreeze has taken the dull world of detergent and given it an upgrade. For starters, their packaging is lightweight, biodegradable, and plastic-free. And everyone has at least someone in their house with sensitive skin, right? It's usually a husband. But thanks to EarthBreeze's eco-sheets that are both hypoallergenic and dermatologist-tested, you won't be hearing any complaints. Plus, EarthBreeze is compatible with high-efficiency washers, gray water systems, and is septic-safe. And if that's not enough to make you want to ditch your detergent, they offer flexible subscriptions that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time. No contracts, no sneaky fees. What I'm really loving about EarthBreeze is not only are the sheets easy to store, but they're easy to use, even for a kid. Plus, my clothes are looking and smelling great, all without sending more crap to the landfills. Switch from the old-fashioned goo to something new. Right now, our listeners can subscribe to EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash moms to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash moms for 40% off. earthbreeze.com slash moms. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery Delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. 
You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for Dash Pass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. Dash Pass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with Dash Pass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for Dash Pass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for Dash Pass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. And now, back to the episode. Before the break, we introduced Dr. Thomas Coleman, his wife Linda, and Linda's boyfriend Gil. Tom was aware of his wife's relationship with Gil, and according to witnesses, he was even supportive of the arrangement. But when Tom was found dead in his car in the parking lot of the Planet Fitness where he worked out, questions began to arise about how amicable this love triangle really was. Surveillance video from where Tom was found showed that a vehicle matching the description of Gill's SUV was spotted in the immediate area, and they believed that the same vehicle was seen on blurry footage parked next to Tom's car for nearly half an hour that morning. There was enough reason for suspicion to bring Gill in for questioning on December 2nd, three days after Tom was found dead. Investigators wanted to find out exactly what Gill knew, Now, keep in mind, at this point, they still don't know exactly how or why Tom died. Gil said he was alone at his apartment in Kingston at the time of Tom's death. He told them about how he'd been texting with Tom the night before, about the Giants game, and everything seemed totally fine. He said he tried to get in touch with Tom on the morning of his death, but Tom never responded. Several voice messages from Gil were found on Tom's voicemail saying things like, call me, call my job, anything, please call back, love you. And give me a call back. Tell me if you're okay. Gil continued talking very openly during his interview about his unique relationship with Linda. He volunteered the information himself and told the officers that he and Linda had a sexual relationship and that they were in love. He said it had been going on for about 11 months, but the last time they were intimate together was about two and a half weeks earlier. Gil said they stopped the affair after Tom's death, but he made it abundantly clear that he was still very much in love with Linda. Detectives felt like Gil was suspicious because of how forthcoming he was about all of this, and they asked him why he was volunteering so much information about the affair. Gil said he knew the police would find out about the affair eventually, and if he wasn't the one to tell him, he knew it would make the police question the honesty behind everything else he said. I kind of get that, to be honest with you. I kind I of too. like, I'm like, okay, like that is a good reason to be upfront about what's going on so that they don't find it and be like, why didn't you tell us this? Because you know, that's of course the first thing the police would say if they found out about it and he hadn't mentioned it, they would be like, why didn't you mention this? Yeah. There's two ways to look at it. It's really honest and forthcoming and he wants to, he knows they're going to get to it. Like, like he said, or it's a little strategic too. I mean, could be. it's, yes. it's both. It's both. It is both. And it could also be both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, regardless it's pretty rare for someone to tell the police they were having an affair with the wife of a man who just died under suspicious circumstances. I mean, I know you and Melissa have seen this before, and it's not usually the first thing someone wants to share. 
So another issue that Gil was adamant about sharing with the officers was that of Tom's general health before his strange death. Tom was actually a patient of Gil's, who we mentioned earlier, was also a highly successful dentist. So he knew a lot about Tom's private medical records. So Gil told them about Tom's sleep apnea, which seemed like a strange and very specific thing to mention. But Gil explained that he just wanted to share any information that might help the medical examiner and the investigators. Hmm. Might help them in a certain direction, maybe. (laughs) Right. He's planting seeds. Right. So the investigation continued. And at some point, Tom's phone and phone records were searched. And these results, again, were very intriguing. On the night before Tom was found dead, he had been texting back and forth with Gil. We mentioned this earlier. A total of 62 text messages were sent. But none of those text messages were found on Tom's actual phone when officers found it. So they are aware through phone records that Tom and Gil were texting and Gil said that it was about the football game that was on that night before. So they're already aware that there were text messages and they can see that there's this many, but they're not finding these actual messages, you know, copies of them on Tom's phone. So there were also deleted text messages from the dates of November 27th and November 28th. Experts did later manage to recover 20 of the text messages that were sent on November 29th. And strangely, they really were (laughs) all about the Giants football (laughs) game that they had been watching. So plot twist. The investigators have no idea why these texts were deleted, but they still thought, as my 13-year-old son would say, that was pretty sus. (laughs) Mm -hmm, For sure. (laughs) So finally, two weeks after Tom's death, the toxicology test results were in. And it was found that Tom did have a few things in his system. Nothing really shocking right off the bat. He had caffeine, ibuprofen, an antidepressant, an antihistamine. And the one that was a little odd was a drug called midazolam. And it's commonly used in surgical settings. So this drug is a benzodiazepine, and they use it right before surgery to cause drowsiness and decrease anxiety and to also decrease your memory of the surgery. So this is really – I did a very quick cursory Google search of this medication and found out that this is pretty much the only application. This is the only reason why you would use this. Like there's no – you're not really prescribing it as a therapeutic drug. They use it in surgery, and that's Mm -hmm. pretty much it. So the amount of this drug that was in Tom's system was really rather inconsequential. There wasn't enough, you know, that would normally kill a person or even render them unconscious. However, the effects of midazolam do differ on people with certain medical conditions. And one of these conditions that can cause a reaction is sleep apnea, which interestingly is the one thing Gil wanted the police to be sure they knew that Tom had. So although this medication is generally safe for those with sleep apnea, patients do need to be closely monitored, which if they're going in for surgery, they are. So it's generally not an issue. Unfortunately, they couldn't determine when or how this drug even got into Tom's system because the medical examiner had disposed of Tom's stomach contents before they could actually look into the timing of the digestion. But the medical examiner later testified that the exposure to midazolam could have been ongoing for up to several weeks. We just don't really know. So Tom was not prescribed this drug, as we said, and he didn't use it in his office. He was a physical therapist, so it makes sense that he wouldn't use it in his office. So there was no logical explanation why he would really have any of it in his system at all. His death was officially classified as acute midazolam poisoning and was ruled a homicide. 
Well, now that investigators believed Tom was murdered, they began an official homicide investigation. Obviously, due to the affair and the fact that Gil and Linda were the two people closest to Tom, they were the first suspects. They knew that Gil and Linda both worked in the health field and therefore both potentially had access to midazolam. Linda took a polygraph, which she passed, and she was questioned thoroughly. They looked through her emails and found out that after the Connecticut trip Tom and Linda took, the couple had sent each other emails about how wonderful the trip had been. In these emails, Linda talked to Tom about wanting to break things off with Gil, but she was afraid of Gil's reaction. Linda wrote, I told him we have to talk, so he has been begging and pleading for me not to leave him. Seeing this made detectives believe that a potential theory was that Linda wanted to end things and Gil wouldn't stand for it, so he killed Tom. In doing their due diligence, detectives searched the hospital where Linda worked as an administrative assistant and found that there was no midazolam missing or unaccounted for. Linda was eventually ruled out as having any involvement in her husband's death. Now, we're not sure why, but investigators never searched Tom and Linda's home. When it was Gil's turn for questioning, detectives did make a little mistake, and somehow they overlooked the small detail of reading Gil his Miranda rights. They told him that they knew that he met Tom at Planet Fitness before his death. They lied, saying that they had surveillance video to prove it. At this point, as we said before, they don't know for sure whose vehicle is on the blurry footage. They have reason to believe that it's the same vehicle seen on other surveillance footage, but still at this point, they have yet to determine whose vehicle that is. They don't actually know if this is Gil's vehicle or not. So Gil continued to deny that he was there. He says, that wasn't my car you saw on surveillance. It may have been another white SUV that looked like mine, but it wasn't me. So the detectives continued to press him, and they accused him of feeding Tom something that killed him. They said he wanted to do this so Tom would be out of the picture and he could be with Linda for the rest of his life. Gil once again repeated that he did not have anything to do with Tom's death. He was questioned for two hours, and then the tone of the interview suddenly turned more accusatory. And when Gil said that he had to return to work, the officers actually would not let him leave. Keep in mind, he hasn't been charged with anything and still hasn't even been read his rights. Hours of aggressive interrogation ensued after this, and the detectives used scare tactics such as lying about evidence they allegedly had. And the whole time, Gil, you know, just remained calm and collected, and he was adamant that he did not kill Tom or have anything at all to do with his death. This interview or interrogation, whatever you would like to call it, lasted for eight hours before Gil finally asked for an attorney. And when he did that, they magically said that he was free to leave. Upon his arrival home, Gil realized that the police were really serious about thinking that he was involved. They had already searched his home and his dental office in the time that he was being interviewed. So the reality hit him, you know, that the police really believe that he's Tom's murderer. And Gil decided, you know what, I actually better lawyer up. He hired an attorney the very next day. Now, during those searches of Gil's home and office, investigators seized a computer from his office as well as some files. They found that Gil had done a search for midazolam, just one search, but still, but it's unclear whether the search was made before or after Tom's death. And also keep in mind, he's a dentist. So how much searching would he really have to do for that? Like, it seems like he would search his brain, maybe. Like, right. You know, it's not he, like he should know. It's a common. Right. Yeah, exactly. Also, why can't they pinpoint the time more closely on a search? I was confused about that, too, in this case. Yeah. They also found a fake CIA 
ID card and a forged Washington Post press pass. He told police that he bought the fake CIA ID a year before meeting Tom and Linda as a way to, quote, spice up his sex life with his wife at the time. He said he had a special character for sexual roleplay named Special Agent Dr. G. Oh, a dental James Bond licensed to implant tracking devices for the CIA. I apologize, Rebecca. I always give Melissa the most embarrassing parts of the story. So I, I appreciate happy, you taking actually. one for the team and, and reading that one. That's great. The only thing better than reading that was thinking of Melissa doing it. Also, this guy's very creative. Another thing found in Gil's office were two emergency medical kits containing one vial of midazolam each. Now, the vials were full and unopened, and they did not seem to be tampered with, nor did they have Gil's fingerprints on them. According to the Daily Freeman, midazolam was among a number of drugs included in these emergency medical kits. Each year between 2007 and 2010, Gil was sent refills for each of the drugs in the kit, including midazolam. But in 2011, the company stopped sending general practitioner dentists like Gil some of these drugs, including midazolam. In August of 2011, they sent Gil a new emergency kit along with instructions about how to dispose of the drugs that wouldn't go in the new kit. Because the midazolam still was in the old kit, that meant Gil didn't return the drug to its manufacturer as directed. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. None of this made any sense to investigators. Their theory was still that Linda wanted to break things off with Gil and Gil didn't want to, so he decided to kill Tom to get him out of the picture. They believed that on the day before the murder, Gil texted Tom about meeting at the gym in the morning and that they ended up meeting in the parking lot on the morning of the 29th. Gil arrived first, and Tom pulled in and parked next to him. Once they were together, Gil somehow gave Tom midazolam, which he'd gotten from his dental office, and while he was waiting for Tom to pass out, he wiped the car clean of his own DNA deleted the text from Tom's phone so nobody would know he was lured to the gym by Gil. Then Gil waited for the drug to react with Tom's sleep apnea. And once he was dead, Gil left and got back on Albany Avenue where he was spotted on surveillance. So although they now have this theory, they still didn't have the evidence needed to charge Gil with a murder. So they continued their investigation. A year passed, and Tom's family was really struggling with his loss, but no one took it harder than Tom's oldest son, Bradley, who he had with his first wife, Michelle. A few weeks after the first anniversary, Bradley attempted suicide. After recovering, he told his mom that he just wanted to go to sleep and wake up with his dad, which, as a mother, just absolutely wrecks my heart. Um, tragically, Bradley completed suicide three months later. He was just 18 years old at the time. Meanwhile, Gil had simply moved on with his life. He continued working at his dental practice, and he even started dabbling in online dating. Soon, he met a woman named Yasmin, who he married in 2014. Investigators continued to build their case against Gil, but they weren't able to find enough evidence for murder charges. They did find enough small stuff to charge Gil with 12 other crimes. Seems like they were really just out to get anything on him, anything they could possibly charge him with to kind of get the ball rolling somewhere. But they ended up finding out that he had apparently been caught filing a false insurance claim in 2014, stemming from a fire that happened at a building that he owned for less than a year at the time that it caught fire. It was right next door to his dental practice. 
But investigators believe that a small part of this claim was actually fraudulent. So he was charged with one count of grand larceny, one count of insurance fraud, and five counts of falsifying business reports. He pleaded not guilty to that. They also learned that in 2014, Gill made a false statement on a pistol license application. Under the application question that asked, have you ever been terminated or discharged from any employment or the armed forces for cause? Gill answered no, which was false because he had actually been discharged from the Marines for going AWOL. So because of this lie on the application, Gill was charged with two counts of perjury, two counts of offering a false instrument for filing, and one count of making an apparently sworn false statement in July of 2015. Again, he pleaded not guilty. Gill had done some other things that showed he wasn't exactly a stand-up guy, but not all these things resulted in charges. For example, Gill would go around telling people that he was a Marine and even that he, quote, conducted recon in Granada, but in reality, he never even served as a Marine because he went AWOL one week into basic training. It took three years to find and arrest him, but instead of facing a court-martial, he was discharged under, quote, less than honorable conditions. Gill also lied on multiple marriage licenses. When he married his second wife, he put down that he'd never been married before, even though he had. He did the same when he married his third wife, Yasmin, claiming he'd never been married before. Gill was never charged with any crimes for these things, but prosecutors used it to paint him as a bad guy. Gill was also found to have posed as other people. They found out about the Samantha texts that were sent to Tom and Linda in the summer of 2011, and Linda also turned over an email she had gotten months earlier. This email was allegedly from Gill's mother, who was pleading with Linda to leave her husband, Tom, and that Linda would only be happy if she and Gill, quote, spent the rest of their lives loving each other. Surprise! The email was actually written by Gill. He admitted to it. (laughs) To go along with his fake CIA ID, Gill apparently also told several people, including Linda, that he was a special agent of the CIA. Because that's something you go around announcing. Yeah. He told people at his dental office that when the CIA called him, he would plant CIA trackers in people's teeth. (laughs) Mandy, this is why I don't go to the dentist. Like, I don't get it. Like, does Gil just happens to have, like, the patients that the CIA wants tracked? So they just call him up and they're like, hey, you just happen to see a lot of people that we want to have intel on. So, yeah, it's go time. Whoever's in your chair, do it. Yeah, exactly. Mercy. Oh, gosh. So Linda also provided a letter written by Gil where he stated that he had contacts in the CIA and they found out about Gil also doing that little thing where he tried to hire the IT guy at his office to pose as a CIA agent in order to intimidate Tom. So these findings would later lead to Gil being charged with possession of a forged instrument. Now detectives were certain that Gil was responsible for Tom's death, but they still didn't have enough hard evidence to back it up. For one thing, they still weren't exactly sure how Gil even gave Tom the medication or how it got into his system. The pathologist first thought that Tom could have been injected, but then he wasn't so sure. So in order to try to get a better understanding of exactly what might have happened, Tom's body was exhumed twice, which is... For the family is absolutely That's so horrific brutal. to think of yeah. him being exhumed, not just once. Once is already really hard for <sighs> somebody who's already been laid to rest, but then to have to do that twice, that's just really awful. But after both of these exhumations, it was determined that the midazolam was most likely hidden in a cup of coffee. 
This was supported by the fact that Tom had coffee in his system during the autopsy as well. It was thought that Gil gave Tom a coffee that was laced with the drug when he met up with him that morning. But it should also be noted that investigators did not ever find a coffee cup in Tom's car or anywhere else. Another major issue was that they still couldn't prove beyond a doubt that the SUV seen on the Cole surveillance footage was really Gil's vehicle. So what they did was, this is one of the parts of the story that I'm just like, wow, this is genius right here. So they hired a company called Forensic Video Solutions, and they were going to try and help analyze the video using special techniques known as reverse projection and headlight spread analysis, which is like, this sounds like something you would only see on CSI. It does not sound like something that would be in real police work whatsoever. So during this research, detectives learned that Gil's SUV had the same odd light projection pattern. It was actually caused by faulty mounting with one of the fog lights. So Forensic Video Solutions ended up concluding that the SUV in the video was indistinguishable from Gill's SUV, meaning it was his. So once (laughs) investigators had this information, they felt like they finally had enough to bring murder charges against Gill. And we are going to get into all of that and so much more after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. You never know when I'm going to bring home a new animal. In fact, just last week, we got our new cat, Felix, and he immediately became part of our family. There's nothing like the love of an animal, which is why it's important to treat them as well as they treat you. And that's why I love to feed my dogs Nom Nom. Nom Nom has cracked the code to doggy delight with their mouth-watering menu featuring irresistible dishes like chicken cuisine and beef mash. These meals are crafted with top-notch proteins, veggies, and a precise blend of vitamins and minerals tailored to meet your furry friend's nutritional needs throughout their life stages. My dogs, Lila and Reese, absolutely love Nom Nom. When I don't feed them Nom Nom, I have to add cheese or treats to make their food more exciting, but with Nom Nom, they tear it right up. And I know they're enjoying it even after they eat, thanks to the energy they both have and the tail wags I'm getting. Why compromise when it comes to your dog's well-being? Make the switch to genuine, fresh dog food that lets you see the ingredients with your own eyes. These nutrient-packed recipes are carefully crafted by board-certified veterinary nutritionists, ensuring the best for your furry friend. And the cherry on top? They're made fresh and conveniently delivered right to your doorstep. Go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trinom.com slash moms. Spelled trinom.com slash moms for 50% off. trinom.com slash moms. Not only are mosquitoes my nemesis at this time of year, but so is feeling sweaty. And sweating can make you feel funky. And while I wear deodorant for my underarms, until now, I didn't really have anything to use in those other places. You know the ones. From your belly button to your underboobs, your lady parts, and even feet, Lumi is the solution for those sweaty, smelly parts of you and is made with the most sensitive parts of the body and mind, so you can say goodbye to odor-causing bacteria everywhere. And when I say every part, I mean every part. And not only can you use it literally everywhere, but it works for a mind-boggling 72 hours. Dr. Shannon Klingman, who was the brilliant mastermind behind Lumi and an OBGYN, encountered countless women concerned about odors below the belt. And after tons of clinical testing, she discovered that it wasn't the lady parts to blame, but rather the pesky bacteria on the surface of the skin. And that's when Lumi was born, a skin-safe, aluminum-free deodorant that actually delivers on its promises, and not just in one area, but everywhere. With over 150,000 five-star reviews backing it up, you can trust Lumi to keep you fresh and fabulous. Lumi is great to throw in your gym bag or in your purse. I keep mine in my gym bag, and it's great to have on days when I have to go from the gym to the grocery store. 
The Lumi Starter Pack comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, and two free products that you can actually choose, like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, plus free shipping. I'm a big fan of the deodorant wipes, but you really can't go wrong with any of it. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code MOMS at LumiDeodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit LumiDeodorant.com and use code MOMS. And now, back to the episode. Okay, before the break, investigators had been working to piece together what happened to 44-year-old Dr. Thomas Coleman, and they learned that a surgical drug, midazolam, combined with Tom's sleep apnea, may be the cause of his death. After Tom's friend Gil was found in possession of forged legal instruments, and it was determined that his Nissan Pathfinder was likely the one seen on surveillance the morning of Tom's death, officers finally had enough to bring charges. So on October 16th, 2015, 48-year-old Gil Nunez was charged with second-degree murder and two counts of possession of a forged instrument. He pleaded not guilty and hired top New York City criminal defense attorneys. Meanwhile, he still has charges pending in the insurance fraud and pistol application stuff. That's happening as well. Tom's family didn't find out what happened to Tom until after Gil was arrested. Up until that point, they kept information very quiet, which could have been because they weren't sure if Linda had any involvement at first. At Gil's arraignment, the courtroom was filled with family members of Gil and Tom. There were also some of Gil's dental patients, which I think is weird. (laughs) Super weird. (laughs) Very invested. I mean, I I guess I would want to know. I mean, I would want to know, but I don't think I would go to the courtroom. (laughs) I've done weirder. (laughs) The Times-Herald record reported that some of Gil's supporters in the courtroom cheered and clapped as Gil entered the courtroom. He smiled and nodded at them. Gil spent a month in jail before being released on $1 million bond. He went back to work and even continued working through his trial. He would work after court. I don't understand that. Who's going to the after court? Doesn't court end at like 5 or 6 p.m.? (laughs) Yeah. There's like twilight dental hours, I guess. Twilight dentistry. That was his new thing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's actually, that's not good. (laughs) Yeah. Double meaning. So his trial for murder and possession of a forged instrument began on May 25th, 2016. Prosecutors told the jury that police conducted a very thorough investigation into Tom's death. They admitted their case was circumstantial, but said all of the evidence combined pointed to the overwhelming guilt of Dr. Gil Nunez. Prosecutors proved that Gil had the character, the motive, the means, and method to kill Tom, and that he was the only person who would want Tom gone. Linda and Gil's affair was detailed for the court with prosecutors describing their relationship as more of an obsession. They said Gil used deception and manipulation to try to get Linda for himself, but it didn't work. Linda testified for the prosecution and stated that she always told Gil she was never going to leave Tom. She admitted that she did love Gil at one point, but said Tom was still her best friend and that she loved him too. She did admit that she also had felt torn at times. She threatened to end the affair in the summer of 2011 after Tom first found out about it, but then Gil became hysterical and said he was going to hurt himself. So Linda continued seeing him. But after she spent that weekend with Tom and their son at the casino, Linda knew what she really wanted was to put her marriage back together and end things with Gil for good. She talked to Tom about breaking it to Gil after Thanksgiving. Tom was found dead before Linda could ever have that talk with Gil. 
Prosecutors told the jury that Gil definitely wasn't Tom's best friend because a best friend wouldn't have an affair with your wife or send fake texts pretending to be someone else telling him your wife is having an affair and going to great lengths to try and break up the marriage of his best friend. They also pointed out that Gil had knowledge of Tom's sleep apnea and also had the knowledge that midazolam could kill Tom due to that condition, and he had access to midazolam. Witnesses for the prosecution said that Tom was reclined in his car with his pants undone so that he could, quote, get comfortable while talking to Gil, but this would later change once the defense had a chance to introduce their own evidence. The defense used their time to try poking holes in every part of the prosecution's case so that the jury would be left with reasonable doubt. And this is where things actually get pretty interesting in the trial. We normally don't have like a ton, a ton of information about the trials on our show. We do get into the trials, of course, and what happens in the end, but we actually have a little bit more information in this story than we usually do. And things really are interesting here. So Gil did not take the stand, but his defense alleged that he had no reason to kill Tom. He was his best friend. Plus, he was still allowed to carry on this affair with Linda openly. So they're basically saying, Gil had it made in the shade. Why would he want to lose that or do anything to, you know, disrupt that? The defense ripped Linda's testimony apart and said that although Linda testified that she was wanting to end things with Gil during the time leading up to her husband's death, they say that was not entirely true. They showed text messages that Linda sent to Gil during the Connecticut trip, all the way up to the time that she actually found Tom dead in his car. And these messages actually do tell a different story. So this is where it gets really confusing and interesting. Linda sent messages along the lines of, I love you, and said sweet things like she misses holding Gil's hand and she misses his soft spot and scar on his face and all these like very intimate things. In these messages... Gil actually was not encouraging Linda to leave Tom. He said, quote, don't do anything, please. You told me that you don't want to make any decisions until after the holidays. I'm going by what you said you want. So these romantic messages continued after the Connecticut trip. In the morning hours of November 29th, in these hours before Linda found Tom dead, she was texting Gil about being on her cycle. So Gil wrote back and said, I am loving you from here. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Kissy, kissy, <laughs> I think you meant kissy, mwah, mwah, mwah. Love, love, love. <laughs> so if that helps, he says. And she wrote back, it does. This is getting uncomfy. <laughs> to make it worse, Linda was asked to read her own text messages out loud in court, which is Honestly, maybe the worst thing. just take me thing. out right then and just there. Just kill I'm me. Done. Just done. There's nothing worse. <laughs> According to sources, it was very awkward. Linda seemed genuinely surprised by her own words. She read them back all this time later. <laughs> That's relatable. When she testified for the prosecution, she made it seem like she was planning on leaving Gil, and it seemed like she had truly come to believe that was the truth. But these texts told a different version of the story. The defense said their relationship seemed to be stronger than ever at that time, which meant that Gil had no reason to believe Linda was going to leave him and therefore would have no reason to want Tom dead. According to the defense, on the day before Tom died, he and Gil texted back and forth 62 times to be exact about football, and none of them indicated that Gil had lured Tom to the gym to murder him. Gil later said he believed the police deleted the texts from Tom's phone because it wouldn't be, quote, convenient for them to see that the texts were all innocent. 
Furthermore, the defense alleged that it was not Gil's SUV seen on the surveillance footage from that morning and that he was nowhere near Planet Fitness at the time Tom died. They reminded the jury that investigators found no fingerprints or DNA linking Gil to the scene and that the only evidence the state presented was that surveillance footage analysis done by Forensic Video Solutions, which was, as they put it, nothing but, quote, hocus pocus and junk science. The defense did admit that Gil had access to midazolam, but only through those kits in his office that we mentioned before, and none of those vials had been used or tampered with. The defense also brought up the fact that authorities never did search the Coleman's home or personal computers, so how could they verify whether or not Thomas had midazolam in his possession? So the issue of whether or not detectives had truly done a thorough investigation was a really big thing for Gil's defense. Drawing attention to the shortcomings of the investigation was really one of their main strategies in the trial. In addition to not searching the Coleman's house or computers, there was other important evidence that had evidently not been tested. For example, after Tom's death, his underwear and pants were sent off for testing, but then investigators asked the lab to return those items to them, and there was no recorded explanation for why, leading to questions over whether or not there might have been things that police preferred not to explore. Another issue was that there was some emails found on Tom's phone from what they called a hookup website called BeNaughty.com. One of these emails was sent at 1.31 a.m., just hours before Tom actually arrived at the gym. The defense said that authorities had never even opened those emails on Tom's phone. And the judge had previously denied the request to bring up these emails because they could make Tom look bad to the jury. But the judge ended up allowing the emails after the defense argued that these unopened emails were important to show that the prosecution had not conducted as thorough of an investigation as they were claiming they had. After the jury learned about these emails, the defense called their final witness, who was the lead detective on the case. They asked him why they never opened those emails. And the detective said they didn't look into them because they thought they were spam. Again, sometimes you hear like excuses or reasons for things and you think like, oh yeah, okay, whatever, likely story. But in this case, like there's a couple of times where I'm like, okay, that makes total sense. You know, like I totally can get behind that because you can see how they would look through the emails and be like, at 1.30 in the morning from like some adult website, like they'd be like, this is just, this is not like a actual, yeah. you know, this is nothing that is important. Like you said, it's irrelevant. So the reason they put the detective on the stand and asked him all of this though, is really just done in an effort to undermine the investigation in front of the jury. The prosecution was not happy about this move, of course. So after these be naughty emails were introduced, the prosecution changed up their explanation for why Tom was reclined in, and his pants were undone in his car. Now they're theorizing that Gil actually had purposely staged the body to make it seem like Tom died while having a hookup. The defense argued that Tom died of natural causes, most likely a heart attack due to his enlarged heart, and they had a pathologist testify that the amount of midazolam in his system would not have been life-threatening, even to somebody who had sleep apnea. They said the most likely cause of death was complications due to his heart condition. Lastly, the defense told the jury that the prosecution's version of events was like a bad Lifetime movie. They said, quote, the idea that you would slip someone a non-lethal dose of a drug and cross your fingers that it would kill them is fantasy. Well, after deliberating for six hours, the jury found Gil not guilty of murder. 
He was found guilty of both counts of possession of a forged instrument. Upon hearing the verdict, Linda began yelling obscenities as she left the courtroom. Pretty much everyone was shocked to hear the verdict. Some of the jurors later spoke to 48 Hours and said there were just too many unanswered questions and too much reasonable doubt. At least one juror said they did not think Gil was guilty and they thought Tom died from his enlarged heart. Gil would still have to go to trial for the other charges he faced before he would be sentenced, but he remained out on bail following the murder trial. The acquittal left two big questions still left unanswered for Tom's family. One, who was in the SUV that met up with Tom in the gym parking lot for 28 minutes? And two, how did the midazolam get into his system? The SVU question doesn't seem to have a good answer. However, according to The New Yorker, there could be a possible answer for the midazolam question. It could be possible that Tom was secretly self-medicating with midazolam. He was buying at least one other drug online, testosterone, and having it sent to a private P.O. box. Detectives determined that before Tom's death, the P.O. box had been closed, but they never investigated its history. They also never looked at his home computer, so they had no way of knowing if he purchased midazolam online, and they didn't search his home either. Of course, this theory has not been proven, but it could, once again, leave you with reasonable doubt for the prosecution story. Very interesting. So while out on bail, Gill submitted a renewal application to the Arizona Board of Dental Examiners. When he got to the question about whether or not he had been arrested, pled guilty, or convicted of a felony or misdemeanor offense in the last three years, he honestly answered yes. Just kidding. He said no. (laughs) Gil. He said no. So in October of 2016, Gil went to trial for grand larceny, insurance fraud, and falsifying business records, all of which stemmed from the insurance fraud. And he was convicted on all counts. The next month, Gil stood trial for perjury, offering a false instrument for filing, and making an apparently sworn false statement, all stemming from the lie that he did on that pistol application. He was once again convicted on all counts. Gill's bond was then revoked and he was taken back into custody. Finally, in 2017, he was sentenced for his convictions. He faced up to 25 years if he got the maximum sentence for each of those charges. Prosecutors argued that he should get the maximum sentence because, quote, society deserves protection from his sociopathic, narcissistic behavior. Gill's defense asked the judge for leniency and showed the judge 130 letters from Gill's supporters, friends, and former patients. According to The New Yorker, Judge Williams did not appreciate the prosecution's request for the maximum. He asked when was the last time that they had ever requested consecutive time for nonviolent, low-level felonies or a maximum sentence for a fraud involving just $8,000. The judge said, quote, you want your pound of flesh seemingly saying that the prosecution just wanted to secure, you know, a murder sentence by other means. You know, they're like, who cares? Give him the max because of this murder that we couldn't get him convicted of. So the judge said that, you know, if there had never been a murder charge, then these other charges Gil was facing, you know, he would never even appear in a felony court for those. They would just be plea bargained out, as he said, in a smaller court. But the judge wasn't really super nice to Gil either, even though he was kind of taking his side on the legal aspect of it from a legal standpoint, he wasn't necessarily saying that he thought Gil was a great guy. He actually Mm -hmm. called him a man devoid of any shame who believed that society's rules just did not apply to him. In the end, the judge did not give Gil the maximum sentence. Instead, he was sentenced to two and – this is the weirdest thing – 
two and a third is the minimum. <laughs> two and a third years is minimum to a maximum of seven years, which still is pretty harsh for nonviolent offenses. Yeah. Gill's dental license was officially revoked in 2018 due to his convictions. He was released on parole in September of 2018 under the Merit Time Program, which is a program that allows some nonviolent offenders to get a reduction of one-sixth of their minimum sentence if they achieve certain program objectives and avoid serious disciplinary issues in prison. In May of 2019, Gill once again submitted a renewal application to the Arizona Board of Dental Examiners. This time, he said he never had any licenses suspended, revoked, or canceled anywhere in the United States. Okay, Gil. but that's such an easy one for them to figure out. It's very recent. They're going to find out. The board knew Gil was lying, no surprise to us, so they ordered him to surrender his license. I am very glad this man is not in anyone's <laughs> mouth anymore. It regardless seems like he was a great dentist, though. There was, his patients really thought he was a great dentist. Or was he? Was he implanting trackers? <laughs> From what I can tell, as of today, Gil is still living in Kingston, New York. According to the Daily Freeman, he will remain on parole until October of 2023, fast approaching. However, from what I can tell on the Department of Corrections website, he finished parole in September of 2019, though it's not clearly worded or stated, so it's unclear. We don't know exactly what job he's working currently, but we do know he can no longer work as a dentist. Legally. Again, I repeat personally. <laughs> yes. At least he can still he could have, have a black market operation. That's right. <laughs> After midnight with Dr. Gill. In July of 2022, it was announced that an HBO limited series based on this story would be coming out. The basis for the show is actually the New Yorker article used in part for this research. The article is called My Dentist's Murder Trial, Adultery, False Identities and Lethal Sedation, which was written by James Lasden, who was an actual patient of Dr. Gil Nunez. He also was one of the people who attended all the trials and interviewed Gil and others. I mean, that makes sense. He's an actual journalist. Yeah, amazing so article. Make sense. Yeah, that will definitely be linked in the show notes because it is one of the sources yeah. for this episode. So yeah, really great article to check out if you want to hear from somebody who actually interacted oh with Dr. Gill. <laughs> Yeah. And the title of the HBO series will be called My Dentist's Murder Trial. The show is set to star Pedro Pascal from Game of Thrones, The Mandalorian, The Last of Us. He'll be playing Dr. Nunez and David Harbour from Stranger Things, Black Widow, Suicide Squad, and among other things, is set to star as well, although his role hasn't been confirmed. And we don't have a release date set, but um, it sounds like a lot more people are going to know this case very soon after all of these yeah. episodes and shows. Yeah. And honestly, I can't really, this is really a perfect case for movies and television just because of everything going on. What do you think, Rebecca? What do you think? Do you think, what do you think about Gil? We can definitely say for sure that he's not necessarily an honest man. We know that just from other lies that yeah. he was caught in, legitimately caught in and proven to be. But what do you think? Is he a killer or is he just a, a con artist? Or is he very unlucky? Because if he, he didn't do it, how unlucky? I agree with the jury's findings. I think there's a lot of reasonable doubt there here. There is a lot of reasonable I think, doubt. I think there's also a lot of circumstantial evidence. And when you hear the prosecution present it, I could definitely be like, for sure. Because, you know, it's usually the most simple it's the Occam razor, Occam's yeah. razor theory. Yeah. But to hear the defense give it their side, I go, yeah, that is an awfully strange way for a person familiar with that medication to know that that was not enough to truly do the job. That is a bizarro way to choose 
to try to off someone and to like wait yes. and not be sure what was plan and B. And because as a dentist, you would think that he would have access to things that would be more guaranteed. Potent. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So more why would it. he choose yeah. some random thing that was like a maybe it will, maybe it won't. That doesn't it really doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. I mean, I guess the only theory there would be if you just weren't trying to necessarily kill somebody, but maybe just make them really sick or get them out of the way temporarily, you know, or also a weird move. But yeah, who knows? Maybe, but Gil has not done a lot that's made sense, right? Um, no, exactly. So he is not a reliable narrator of his life and his track record uh, in terms of paperwork and documentation, I would say. So like, I'm not sure why I should right. trust the words he's saying that he didn't do it. I think there's a very good chance right. he did, but I think the jury got it right based on the evidence. That's tough. Yeah, there's just way too many unanswered questions, a lot of reasonable doubt. I think the part that I get hung up on the most is what a crazy coincidence it would be. The headlight thing with the car. That's where you get me, where they see that vehicle. Yeah with the weird headlights driving in the direction of the gym. They can't confirm that it is the same vehicle that pulls into the gym parking lot, but it definitely seems highly likely. And then to find out that Gil's vehicle has like the same light pattern on the vehicles, yeah. like that doesn't make sense. The other thing I have too that I always wondered is, like you said, maybe he's really unlucky. I feel like Gil was there at the gym. I'm not saying that necessarily means that he murdered Tom mm -hmm. at that time. I do tend to believe that it was his vehicle and that he did at least see Tom or went to the gym. The fact that he was there for 28 minutes, though, I'm like, was that because he was like – giving Tom drugs and then do they waiting work that fast? Like that's my other, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, he yeah. was only there for 28 minutes. So that's not that much time to administer a drug to someone and wait for it to take effect. Like that doesn't seem like really, cause that seems like enough time. excruciatingly long to me. Like imagine you did do that. 28 minutes would seem like hours, but it I would. don't know but about to deliver how a fast cup of coffee. That's I'm thinking, right. Right. True. How fast is it going to take effect, you know? True. And the other hangup I have, despite what I just said about I would probably find him not guilty, is what's the alternative? If it wasn't Gil, like, right. where do you then even begin to, to piece man? together right. what happened? Because it, there really is no indication that Tom wanted to end his life. Why would he pick doing it at the gym? This was really much his routine. So why would he be doing it so differently this day? Because Gil is the one who who had threatened, you know, hurting himself prior. So that didn't seem to be right. Tom's MO. So that doesn't really make sense either. And there no, was no unidentified no. person's DNA or fingerprints. So Right. And going to the gym, uh, getting ready to go work out at the gym doesn't seem like the time and place that he, even if he was taking it himself on his own accord, that seems like an odd time to do it because of the, what the drug is supposed to do right. for you to make you tired yeah. and all this. That's that what I would like do. Something you would not to, take to get out of going to the, the gym. Right. I'd be like, sorry, I can't. Right. I have midazolam <laughs> or whatever it's called. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so I kind of struggle with that to kind of figure out one. if it wasn't Gilden, who was it? That's the main thing. If not Gilden, who? So that's the answer that we don't have, and maybe we'll never have. Yeah. So um, sad for so, yeah. for his family. So so sad. Very sad. Yeah. And some of those in times like that, I feel like when you really don't have the answers, like it's it's hard no matter what. Whenever somebody that you care about is is 
dies or a navy <sighs> is murdered. We don't know in this case. Yeah. But to not know no answers. has to just be that much worse. Absolutely. Yeah. Not have any answers. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that was the story Ooh. for this week. So we normally do, um, as I was telling Rebecca, we always do our last thing before we go at the end of our little podcast here. And um, since Melissa is not here, I thought we would use this time for last thing before we go to talk about her. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, so it was so lovely, Melissa, to set you and I up to do this episode together um, to this week. And as I said, you and I never really have a chance to talk to each other. I don't really, not on purpose. I no. hope it doesn't seem like that's on purpose. No, it absolutely isn't. It's <laughs> life is crazy. There's too many podcasts to make. <laughs> it's so true. It's too many podcasts and too many people mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. Well, one person is too many for me. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought that we would just do a little chit chat and kind of um, just kind of talk about a little about how you know Melissa. I know some people who listen to our show already know or at least are aware that Melissa has another podcast that she does. And for those of you who don't know, well, you're about to find out all about it. Melissa is very humble. She doesn't like to talk about herself Mm -hmm. or her work um, or anything that she does. So So I'm very glad that you're here so that you can talk about her and criminality, the podcast that you and Melissa do together. Oh yeah. I will not be humble. I will tell you all about it. And (laughs) it's so funny because I met Melissa the same exact day I met you. I was a listener of Moms and Murder at the time. Of course, also love Moms and Mysteries. Very excited for the rebrand. I think it's so exciting. I met you both at CrimeCon of 2019, and I was just about to launch my first podcast, which is called Dialogue, which was an interview-based true crime show. And I knew I wanted to have you both on as guests. So I made a beeline for your table. I introduced myself. And I'm like, for Mother's Day of next year, I'm going to have you on, which was like really weird in retrospect to think that far ahead. But I was just like, oh, I like the branding of having the moms on. In May. So we did. Oh, that, that was not weird to us. I know. And, and Melissa, even Melissa was like, I like this girl. She was like, she She's really organized. knows like how yeah. to get me. Yeah, She knows how to get me on board for anything. All you have to do is tell me like, six months in advance. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we're all like busy moms. That's probably like worked to our advantage. So, so we had that really fun interview and then, you know, kind of kept in touch peripherally, but honestly, Melissa and I would just sometimes end up texting about reality TV because from what I understand, you don't consume as much as her. That's very true. That's very true. And for those of us who (laughs) suffer from the affliction of enjoying reality TV, we really need support people in our lives. So I ended up, you know, being that person. And then um, sometime, you know, kind of in the middle of the pandemic around early 2021, Melissa had this idea for a second show and she asked if I'd be interested in co-hosting it. And that premise was criminality, which was true crime meets reality TV. So all the people we know from these reality shows. So for anyone listening, a lot from the Bravo universe, but beyond, they commit crimes. And the cool thing is it's not usually murder. So it's like a little lighter for both of us from what we were normally working on. So lots of um, lawsuits, scandals, white collar crime, fraud, and things like that. And we started. Yeah. I have to say, I, although I am not a big, huge reality TV connoisseur, although maybe you don't know this, but I actually started getting into Love is Blind, oh, which is that's a great, very- <laughs> uh, foray into reality. I think yes. that one got a lot of people. Yes. So I've been hooked on Love is Blind now for all four seasons. Oh, good. I so can't wait for the next season me to too. come. So, so yeah, it. so that is the one show that she will get me to kind of dish with her on. We actually did a, um, 
for a few weeks on Patreon, we did like a bonus content thing where we were talking about Love is Blind. So yeah, but even though I do not really necessarily love so much reality TV, I will say the cases that you guys talk about involving celebrities are like absolutely mind blowing. You don't even have to like reality TV. You just have to know who these people are like loosely. And then it makes you want to go and find out more about them after you hear these crazy things that they've done or crazy things that they do. I'm glad to hear you say that we do have listeners who don't follow reality TV at all, but they're pop culture interested. And I think if you have that like celebrity or celebrity adjacent B-list, we like a good B-lister. If you have that interest, like the stories are usually pretty bonkers and they always connect to other celebrities. So they're, they're like tangled webs, really, really fun. But you know, what struck me today about the story you and I just did is it's weirdly, it's darker and it's heavier, but it's mirroring the big Vanderpump Rules scandal that's happening right now, which must have touched your ears or Instagram feed or something oh because my gosh, the scandal. asked me, someone asked me recently if they didn't, of course I don't, but someone recently was like, do you watch Vanderpump Rules? And they asked me that. <laughs> and I said, no. And then they were like, oh, like, never mind. They, they did not want to talk to They just needed to talk to someone about it. Someone. Yes. They're like, <laughs> yes. next. It wasn't about you. It wasn't personal, Mandy. They just, they really were like needing a fix. But in it, there's two guys named Tom, but the story basically, I won't even do like the nutshell, but essentially an affair just came out and it was a guy having an affair with his, well, really it's the girl having an affair with her best friend's longtime partner, not husband, but partner of 10 years. So it just kind of at first reminded me of the story. Now it's gotten dark on Vanderpump Rules, but nobody has died, thankfully. But yeah, there's a Tom and a kind of awkward triangle, love triangle. So, you know, that was interesting. I don't know why I don't get into these things. It sounds like something I would be totally interested in. I just don't, I don't know why. What's your escape from true crime and from more heavy shows? Or like, it might be something not on TV, but like, what's your like mental escape? Oh, I am like a crazy, freaky workout person oh, now. Wow. All I want to do is work out whenever I get stressed. It sounds like the craziest thing in the entire world, but I'm like, I don't want to watch TV. I want to go out and like do something, you know? Like, but you don't watch TV energy. while you work I out? Don't. No, I listen to music. I listen to like, when I'm working out, I listen to music that I can't listen to in the Sure. Yeah. You need that like ragey (laughs) stuff with expletives. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but you know, good for you. I mean, look, you're going to win. You're winning. We are not. Um, (laughs) I mean, I revealed myself as to who I am. I am the person who would self-medicate to like pass out. So I wouldn't have to get into the gym. Um, (laughs) I like taking walks out in nature. I like hiking. Getting to the gym is very hard for me. It's very hard. I don't like it there. Yeah, it's like the dentist. I love it there. Honestly, it is. Hard. I'd rather go to Doctor Gill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Doctor Gill, check He's my teeth. He's probably looking for patients, so you might be in luck. Well, I He's forgot to got an tell you. By the way, I live in Queens, so this was very close to home. And I summer, I spend weeks every summer upstate, which is where Kingston and Saugerties and all those towns are. I'm like, oh, it's just a matter of time till I run into this guy. Oh yeah, so that's yeah. cool. <laughs> He's out there. <laughs> All right. But Rebecca, thank you so, so much for doing this episode with me. Um, I know Melissa appreciates it so much. And I know we are both just so anxious for her to be back to herself and back on her feet. I know she is too. Uh, But really, I appreciate you so much um, for doing this. Thank you so much. I hope that those of you listening enjoyed this and 
got to hear a little bit of Rebecca. So if you liked what you heard, and of course you did, make sure you check out Rebecca and Melissa's other podcast, Criminality, if you don't already. Like we said, you don't have to be a a reality TV fan to get something out of it and to enjoy it. So definitely check that out. Rebecca, thank you so much. Everybody, we'll be back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bye.